I, I love this time of year. Absolutely love it. In fact, this is the weekend that the Studensky family, we bring out all of our decorations. And one of the things that we always include is a nativity set. Nativity is a word, it comes from the Latin. It means birth and origin. It's where we get the word native from. Christmas is a time we celebrate the Son of God who was native to heaven, becoming the son of a young couple, native to earth. And in our nativity scenes, we find mysterious visitors from the east and peasants from the lowest rungs of society. We find angelic beings whose appearance inspired awe. We find a young man with royal blood, a young woman with an unplanned pregnancy, and a baby who is both God and human. That birth brought together mortal and immortal, men and women, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, in a time marked by such division. Here's what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. This Advent, let's reflect on the birth that brought us all together. Today, we're going to zero in on the Magi, those mysterious visitors from the East. Today, let's learn about who they were and what drew them into the story. And as we do, let's reflect on this question. How can we experience more of what they experienced that first Christmas? Now, there is so much that we don't know about the Magi. And a lot of people what they think they know comes from sources outside of the scripture. It comes from lore surrounding the story. For example, you may have heard the Magi referred to as kings. There's no evidence to support that. You may also have heard that there were three of them. Some lore even gives them names. Syrian tradition has one set of names. Ethiopian tradition has another, as do the Arminian and Western traditions. The truth is we are not sure how many Magi there were or what their names were either. So let's take a look at what is written in the most accurate, the most carefully vetted account that we have. Today, the source material that we're going to look at comes from the first century. Today, we call it the book of Matthew, and we find it in the Bible. Now, some people are surprised to learn that this is the only place, the place we're looking today, is the only place in the entire Bible where we find this account of these magi. You can find it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And if you don't have a Bible at home, we invite you to go right now to uversion.com. You can download a free Bible app there. It's a really good one. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 2, verses, we'll start with 1 through 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, I included a transliteration of the original Greek there in the text that went up on the screen. In the oldest text, the plural form of this word is used. So, we know that there was at least more than one of these magi. Now, did that Greek word look at all like the word magic to some of you? If you did, your intuitions were good. It is the same root word that we get magic from or magician from. And this isn't the only place that we find magi in the Bible. Here's another example. It's the same Greek word, this time in singular form, and it shows up in Acts 13, actually a couple times. Let's take a look. Keep a bookmark in Matthew 2, and then let's turn, let's flip over to Acts 13, verses 6 through 8. 
uh, where it says this. When they had gone, we're talking about uh, Paul and Barnabas here. When they had gone through the whole land, as far as Pathmos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul. And he summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. All right, so in the New Testament, you have magi associated with mystic arts. You have them in positions of influence. And at least some of them here distorted and or opposed the Christian faith. As we use the source material then to put together a profile of these magi, we find that they were also associated with astrology and dream interpretation and the pursuit of wisdom and the study of ancient writings. All right, so there's our composite. Let's go back then to Matthew. We're going to put verses 1 through 2 back up, and this time we highlighted a couple phrases. Again, there's a lot that we don't know about the Magi, but here are at least three things that we can get right from the text. In Matthew's Magi, they were looking for a king, they were following a star, and they were ready to worship the child. So, how could these magi possibly have put all of these things together? How could they have made a connection between a star and a king and a child that was worthy of their worship? Well, we don't know for sure, but we do know this. It is historically possible. Why do I say that? Centuries earlier, the children of Israel had been invaded and conquered by the Assyrian Empire and then by the Babylonian Empire. And many of those Jews were carried off into lands that were occupied and inhabited by magi who were doing all of their magiing. So it is well within the range of possibility that the magi were exposed to the sacred texts of these exiled Jews, these ancient writings, these ancient prophecies about a Messiah that was to come. Scriptures that we find in this collection of documents in the section that we call the Old Testament. Here's an example of one of the scriptures that they may have had access to. This is from what we now call the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 24, verse 17. It says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So when the Magi followed possibly a text like this, putting together all these signs, and they went to Israel's capital, oh, it, create, it created quite a commotion. Let's go back to the text. Verses, now we're going to look at 3 through 5, still in chapter 2. When Herod the king heard all of this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. All right, let's hit pause right there for a second. This journey that the Magi were on, it could have taken 40 days or more. For a trip like that, it is highly likely that this group of Magi, however many there were, was multiplied. The group was multiplied in size because they would have attendants with them and armed guards that were with them. So this is a big old entourage. But I don't think it was the entourage that caused everyone to be on edge. Again, remember, this is anchored in a real historical context. In that time, in that place, there was already a king on the throne, Herod the Great. He had been appointed by Rome, and he was a powerful figure. 
He built theaters. He built palaces and fortresses. You can visit places like Masada today. That was him. He was involved with all of that. And see the impact for yourself. Well, Herod was ruthless. I know a lot of you are fans of those uh, crime shows and those crime podcasts. Well, look up Herod the Great. When he felt his throne was threatened, he took out the threat, including his own wife, including his own kids. So with that much power and that much willingness to use it, why would he be concerned about some stargazers? Well, let me show you why. This is from one of the Bible study resources that we often recommend, the IVP, Bible Background Commentary. The new versions have a different cover, so if you look it up at Amazon. But I would encourage everybody to get one of these. Have it at home. It's just it's such a good resource. So um, here's something that it says about these texts. Um, I'm reading from page 48 here. Just give me a second to find it. All right, take a look at this, or take a listen to this. Well, I guess listen and look. We got the slide up on the screen. Magi were pagan astrologers whose divinatory skills were widely respected in the Greco-Roman world. Astrology had become popular through the science of the East, and everyone agreed the best of the best came from the East. All right, so how seriously did people take this astrology, how seriously did they take celestial signs? Listen to this. Many rulers feared astrological signs of their demise. The emperor Nero later reportedly slaughtered many nobles in the hope that their deaths, rather than his own, would fulfill the prediction of a comet. So there were people, they took this really, really, really seriously. And so imagine this, you're in Jerusalem, this huge entourage comes into town and they're following a sign in the heavens that's a big, big deal. So, the, so everyone is on edge about this. And those, those, these magi are bringing very expensive gifts, and they, they're there to worship, worship what could or should be, you would think, Herod's baby boy, right? To be the next in line, this newborn king. So imagine this. Imagine the magi come in and like, Herod! Congratulations, we saw the sign in the heaven. Your baby boy is going to be awesome. We brought the gifts. And then Herod's like, uh, don't have a baby boy. And Magi are like, awkward. Sorry about all of that. Well, do you know where we can find a baby who was born to be king, who had a whole star in the heaven, who's going to surplant you and your whole family line? So could have been an awkward conversation. All right, that's not in the Bible, just speculation on my part. But let's go back to the text and, and anchor what we do know to Scripture. All right, we're picking back up with um, three, uh, 3 through 5. All right, here we go. Uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests, all of them, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right, so fun fact real quick. Um, anyone know where that scripture, that prophecy comes from? It comes from the book of the Bible we were just looking at last week. It was Micah, Micah. All right, well, think about how embarrassing this is, this text we just read. Whether or not there was a conversation like the one I gave you earlier, how embarrassing is it for Herod, the maybe not as great as everyone says he is, 
to, to not know this. Bethlehem, where this child was to be born, it says in the scripture, it's about as far from here as, as Rosedale. It, it is not that far. It is, it's just down the road. And Herod didn't even know this happened. Even though this account we're reading right now might have been up to two years after the fact. So this is after angels appeared to shepherds. This is after those shepherds went and saw this for themselves and went and spread the news. So you've got signs in the heaven. You've got angels bursting in. You've got shepherds spreading the news. This may have been going on for two years and just six miles down the road. And Herod doesn't know. Herod doesn't know. The king of the Jews missed it all. All right, let's go back to our text. Verses 7 through 11 uh, says this. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me the word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right. Scripture says that they visited the child in a house. Now, that could be evidence that Jesus was born in a home that had a room that was used also to house the animals at night. So this could have been, you know, evidence of that. It also could be evidence that, that he had moved to a different location because there's many who believe that Jesus was born in a cave outside of um, Jerusalem because, or outside of Bethlehem because there's no room at the end. We don't know these things for sure. We don't know these things for sure. The point of the nativity scene is not to recapture a group photo. The point of the nativity scene is for us to get a glimpse of all of these people and angelic beings and all of the everybody that was brought together by this one of a kind birth. People from every generation, every continent, even the angelic messengers, which we're going to talk about in a couple weeks. Now, the gifts that the Magi brought proved to be prophetic. I even brought some small samples here. Um, this morning, we've got gold, real gold in here. We've got frankincense. And then we've even got some myrrh here today. And these are gifts. If you were going to make a swag bag for a king, these are the gifts that you would put in it. Gold is the gold standard. It is the metal of kings. Frankincense was often used in worship and was as precious as gold in the ancient world. And then there's myrrh. Myrrh in ancient times could be worth up to seven times its weight in gold. It was used to mummify the pharaohs. You would use myrrh when you buried a king. The magi had been drawn into a story that had been foretold. Let's take a look at this. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 says this. The people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light shined. Earlier, God had established that the Israelites would be a light to the nations. And in the fullness of time, Gentile seekers, these magi from the east, they noticed a light in the heavens, and they were drawn to it. 
and they set out to see where it led. Let's look at another one of these ancient prophecies that is also in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 60, verse 6, says this. Uh, says this. They shall bring gold and frankincense. Any of that sound familiar to any of you? Well, it appears as though God was working in these wise men, in these magi. He was working through them, even though as magi, they were outsiders. God was drawing these seekers to the Christ child. And here's an observation that a number of my sources noticed. Stars, way, way up there in the night sky, they can't guide you to a specific house. So there are those who speculate that this star was really unique. That it was less like the stars maybe you see in the sky. It, it was more functioning like that pillar in ancient days of, of fire that led the Israelites. How cool would that be? To have a light leading you and guiding you. Again, that's speculation. Let's go back one last time to the text. Verse 12. Um, look at what we know here. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we do know this. We do know that God spoke to them in a dream. Does God still speak? Yes. We're actually going to do the very next series we're going to do, we're going to talk about, we're going to call it whispers. We're going to talk about how do you discern God's voice. Does he still speak? Yes. Does he still provide warnings? Yes. He does. If you subscribe to those ECC mails that I, that I put out, you may notice in, in the background um, this, uh, this little sign. Um, here's a really brief version of the backstory for this. I was up in Brainerd, and I don't usually buy things like this, but something told me as I walked by this wall where this thing was, get this, you're going to need it. And it was on me pretty strong, so I, I purchased it, and I, I brought it to my office and put it there. God knew what was coming. Not long, in fact, almost right after I purchased this, we went through the most challenging season that we've ever faced as a church. God knew <laughs> this was coming, and he knew that I'd be tempted to say, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. But God prepared me in advance. He prepared us in advance. He provided assurance that he'd be with us through the storm if we pressed on. How many of you would like to experience more of what the Magi experienced on that first Christmas? A God who still speaks, a God who still guides, a God who still provides warnings, a God who's still taking people on a long journey that's going to be worth it in the end. Imagine, imagine being led by the same God who hung the stars in the sky. Imagine being guided by the same ancient texts that have guided people throughout the centuries. Imagine God working in you and through you, even at times when you're not aware of it. Imagine God providing assurances along the way that he's with you. You can, you can experience more of this. If I had to summarize this entire message in one sentence, Here's what I would say. The light still leads seekers home. Can I get an amen? Well, as a former skeptic, 
as someone who actively tried to disprove the existence of God and the authority of his word so that I could walk away from Christianity in peace, I can bear witness to this. There's enough light for sincere seekers to see. The heavens still testify to a creator. The ancient scriptures are being fulfilled. There's a king who chose the way of the manger and the cross. And nativity scenes, they provide a glimpse of the church that Jesus is coming back for. If you'd like to have a conversation about any of these things on this list or anything else, just let us know. We would be honored to be part of your journey and help you take your next steps. And what a great time to take a step towards that child in that manger. You may not have a lot of gold, frankincense, or myrrh, but that's not what God treasures most. No gift brings our Father greater joy than when His children find their forever home. This coming week, I get to meet with a representative from an organization called Real Hope Ministries. Their mission is to help kids in the foster care system find their forever home. I love that phrase, forever home. Is there something inside of you that knows there, there's more? There's more than just chasing after what's shiny. There's more than can be found in empty religion. Or regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you done, have done, there's a father who would love to welcome you home this Christmas. And there's an invitation. Let me give it to you. It's from Jesus himself. And it comes just a few chapters after these chapters you've been reading. Here it is. Seek and you'll find. Let me pray for you. Father, there are all kinds of different folks um, gathered right now around this message. And Father, we pray for each one that you through your Holy Spirit will meet each one of us where we're at. We pray for those who know there's more. Father, we pray that as they seek, they're going to find. Father, we pray for those who maybe haven't been thinking in this lens at all. We've just been going through life so busy. May this be a season where we also come back home. Thank you for revealing all that you did. Thank you for the light that still shines so brightly. May we focus in on it. May we focus in on you this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.